you guys. First Corinthians chapter 16. I'm going to be reading verse uh, 1 through 9. It says, Now concerning the collections for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great an effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You guys ever heard the phrase, God opening a door? Have you ever used that? Whenever God opens a door, he closes a window. Or, no, wait, how's that go? <laughs> it's the other way around. It's kind of a Christianese phrase that we use, God opening doors and shutting doors. And uh, use it often in our ministry and in our life. I just been thinking about uh, five years ago, um, this month, my wife and I were planning on moving to Casper, Wyoming to plant a church and uh, just go in that direction. And, uh, and the Lord shut that door and opened up a door uh, to move here to Prineville and to be a part of the church here in Prineville. And uh, <clears throat> this last uh, December, I think it was, um, my wife and I were in the process of adopting a child. And we really wrestled about what country we should adopt from and what agency we should choose to adopt uh, from Africa. And um, our hearts were really like drawn towards Burkina Faso. Um, they have uh, slavery still going on there. They have child labor where children are just down alone by themselves, about 200 feet under the ground mining. Um, the, the girls are tortured and things like that, by about 75% of them. And our heart was drawn there. And so it was with great joy uh, just before Christmas that my wife and I stuck our flag in the ground and said, we're adopting from Burkina Faso. And we announced it. And we said, though, in the midst of it, but Lord, have your way. Lord, we hold on to that with, loose, with a loose grip. If it's somewhere else, feel free, God, to open a door or shut this door. And uh, if you know our story, it was in February that we found out that Lindsay was pregnant. And that happens a lot when people are going to adopt, like they get pregnant somehow. I don't know. And so we call the adoption agency saying, hey, we're... Uh, Lindsay's pregnant. We're still planning on going forward with the adoption. We'll have twins. And, um, and, uh, and okay, Lord, I guess that's what we're going to do. And uh, we get an email back about a week later or so uh, from the agency that says, um, well, actually, uh, we have just closed down our agency after 30 years of being an agency. This week, we're closing the doors. And uh, it was this agency was the only agency to Burkina Faso, Africa, to the United States. And so we're able to say, the Lord shut that door. <laughs> you know, the Lord shut that door. 
And we're going to see today uh, a little bit of New Testament opening of doors and a little bit of New Testament closing of doors. And we're going to intercede for the Lord to bring about an open door in Prineville um, for the gospel to be preached. And uh, right now we're in a place as a church where we are literally, we've been for a few months now, going and knocking on doors to tell people about Jesus. And we've had a lot of doors slammed in our face, right? I guess that's a closed door, you know. And we've had a lot of doors open and inviting, inviting us in to talk and discuss Jesus. But there seems to be like some kind of a stronghold, something holding back people from actually believing the gospel and responding and being saved. And so we would pray today after this teaching, Lord, open up a door. However we are to preach the gospel, lead us and, and open doors up. Um, we're also right now, if you remember Monday on our fast, the day of Monday, we spent time here on Monday night praying that God would open up doors for world missions in our church. And you can pray right now because possibly the Lord is opening up a door to go to Indonesia and to take a team over and to help the um, sex trafficking victims over there in rebuilding a house that's to be a refuge for them. We're sending emails back and forth with a friend of mine who does that over there. And uh, there are core groups that are just excited and being stirred to go. And, and so you can pray right now, Lord, open up the door to Indonesia to, um, to minister over there, but also, as um, one of the elders' hearts is, to get into the Saul of Tarsus of that area who's, who's manning things, who's, uh, who's ahead of that, that God would penetrate that. These are, we're dreaming the dreams of God since the fast. That's a possible open door. India is a possible open door. Brazil is a possible open door. And is it okay to just ask you to pray with us? You know, some pastors are like, don't say anything. Let it. Pray with us, will you? Pray with us about these things. Potential open doors. So what does it look like, though? What is this open door in the New Testament? Um, we see in verses 8 and 9 today, Paul says, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. I want you to kind of break this verse in two, and, and remember each half, okay? First of all, there's a great and effective door that's been opened, and then part B over here is there are many adversaries. Because we're going to see that a lot in our study today. Charles Hodge says, there were two reasons for Paul remaining in Ephesus. His abundant opportunities for usefulness, and on this hand, the need to withstand opponents of the gospel. Now, I love it when studying Greek actually is like fun, and it's in times like this, where you have a great and effective door, and in the Greek, the words are megas energes. Nobody else is getting that? Mega energy, right? We want some megas energes. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know. Mega energy. This speaks of large, important, extensive, if you have the ESV version, surprising, surprising, wide doors. Megas energes. <laughs> Mega energy. And that is what my prayer is. That is what our prayer is as a church, that God would provide these doors, these doors to be opened that are so effective, 
so powerful, so mega energy. One uh, writer from over 100 years ago, Estius, wrote, these would be doors that would require great labor. Uh, Biza writes, they're opportune for affecting great results. Open doors. Open doors are entrances. They are opportunities. Hodge also said, a door is a way in. And figuratively, an opportunity of entering into the possession, listen to this, an opportunity of entering into the possession of people's convictions and hearts. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, would you open up in Prineville the opportunity to have possession of people's convictions and their hearts? Guys, that is an open door. That people's convictions and hearts would be laid out and we could apply the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. Leon Morris writes that this word has opened is in the perfect tense which means that the door stands open. It gives the thought of continued opportunity, that the Lord would open up a door for us, full of opportunity. Many were prepared to receive the gospel at the city of Ephesus, where Paul writes this letter from. And God gave him great success among them. He brought over many to Christ, and he had great hope of bringing many more. Why don't we flip to Acts 19 where we read of this mega energis, <laughs> mega energy of ministry to the Ephesians. So it started out in Acts 19.8 that Paul went into the synagogues and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning things of the kingdom of God. Now, you remember that part B of our scripture today, that there's great opposition, all right? Here's where we see it happening already. When some who were hardened and did not believe but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years. Now, does that sound like an open door? Kind of. Right? Kinda. But let's continue out the verse. So that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Is that stellar or what? All who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, whether they were Jews or Gentiles. Guys, that is what you call an open door. A wonderful open door. I like reading different translations so that um, it it sheds light on things, all right? Uh, ESV says that a wide door for effective work has opened or for effective service. The Phillips paraphrase says there is a great opportunity of doing useful work. And so we would pray today as we would come to the scriptures, first of all, If there already is a great opportunity going on in our community, uh, uh, church, community, uh, region, that we would see it and go through it. But we would also, we're going to find today, there's a place for praying for God to actually open up that door. And that we would be intercessors today for that door to be opened up. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 27. This is at the end of Paul's first missionary journey, okay? 
after his missionary journey, it says that in verse 27, they came together and gathered the church together and reported all that God had done with them. And that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So at the end of Paul's first missionary journey, they were able to report in their missionary party at the end of it all that God had opened up the doors of faith to the Gentiles. We're going to look at, we're going to kind of go back a couple chapters in the book of Acts and see what made them say that God opened up the door of faith. What was it that had them give that report at the end of the missionary journey? What did an open door of faith to the Gentiles look like during Paul's missionary journey? Well, it it actually begins before Paul with the Apostle Peter. That's when we first see non-Jews getting saved, coming to know Jesus, having their sins forgiven. And guys, it's really sad that this was, you know, whatever, 36 AD, because this should have been happening from the time of Abraham. The Lord spoke to Abraham that his seed was to be a blessing to the whole earth and all the nations of the earth would be blessed and that Israel would be missionaries to the Gentiles. But they had national pride well up and within their hearts and they missed out on mission opportunity uh, for the whole Old Testament. Uh, and they missed, they missed out on it. So God does it in Acts chapter 11 through the apostle Peter. This is when it happens, okay? Uh, if you will allow me to paraphrase for the sake of time, a little bit. Uh, in Acts chapter 10, Peter is in a place called Caesarea, uh, or excuse me, it's in Joppa is where he's at. It's where Jonah got on a boat and went out and got swallowed by a whale. It's a, it's a uh, port town. And he's up on the roof of Simon the Tanner. And as he's praying before lunchtime, uh, he goes into a trance. And it says that a sheet comes down from heaven full of all kinds of unclean animals. And a voice says, Kill and eat. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no way, Jose. That's a little paraphrase there. I don't know if you got that. No way, Lord. (laughs) He says, never in my whole life has anything unclean entered my mouth. And the Lord says, hey, what God has called clean, you must not call unclean. And this happened three different times that the sheet comes down. No way, Lord. And then, hey, don't do that. Okay, it happens three different times. And then a knock happens at the door. Peter goes down, and there are some men sent from a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Now, at the same time, or around the same time that Peter was having his vision, about 30 miles north in another sea town called Caesarea, there's a centurion named Cornelius. And he was a guy that was not born again, but there were things going on in his life that were examples of God's common grace upon him. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who gave daily. He was, he was a man who says that your prayers and offerings have come before the Lord. And so the Lord reaches out to him and, and stirs in his heart to receive the gospel. And he tells Cornelius, hey, send some men down to Joppa. They're going to get Peter and bring them back. And he is going to tell you and your, and your whole household what you must do to be saved. And so Peter's done praying and the vision thing goes on and then there's a knock at the door and he goes down and it's Cornelius' servants that say, come up to Caesarea with us. So Peter goes up to Caesarea with him, goes into the house, explains the vision. There's a nice welcoming about, I saw an angel. I had a vision. Okay, Peter starts preaching the gospel to Cornelius' Cornelius's household and before he's even done... 
These people believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're saved. They're baptized with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. And it's obvious that the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. They are Gentiles. Now to the Jews and even to the Jewish Christians, they're like, the Gentiles? Oh, I've never touched anything that's unclean, right? So Peter goes back and in Acts chapter 11, he gives a report of his missionary journey to Cornelius' household. And it says that he tells this this evidence, and when they heard these things, this is Acts 11, and we're going to go down to the bottom of this section, verse 18. It says, when the Jews heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. That is the open door to the Gentiles. Through Peter's ministry, the Holy Spirit has opened up to the Gentiles repentance and life. An open door. It's incredible. Now, this revival, this open door to the Gentiles, moves north from Jerusalem, from Caesarea, up into the Syrian town called Antioch. Okay? And in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, it says, There were those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So after what had just happened, there's still a group of people that are only preaching the gospel to the Jews. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they'd come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. And by the way, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. They were kind of like, they were considered like half-breeds, okay? So in a sense, this is the gospel going forth to the Gentiles. They were preaching the Lord Jesus to them. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. I love that. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of those things came to the ears in the church in Jerusalem, so they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with one purpose of heart, that they should continue with the Lord. And then if you'll jump down to the end of verse 26, it says, So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So we have another kind of thing happen where these Hellenists get saved. They believe in the word of the Lord. They receive it with gladness. And there's a revival that takes place in Antioch. And then you got those Jewish Christians down in Jerusalem. They're like, what? I don't know. I still don't know if I'm quite comfortable with this. Let's send Barnabas up to examine it, right? So Barnabas goes up and he says, there's a revival going on. And so they rejoiced. And it was there that believers were first called Christians. Do you ever wonder where we got our name? And it means little Christs. We're supposed to be little Christs running around, representing Jesus all over the world. Now, from Antioch, Paul and Barnabas are going to be sent out on their first missionary journey where they'll preach the gospel on an island called Cyprus. But first, I know there's a lot of names of towns and cities going on, and I want to help you out a little bit. It's in my nature. Uh, Matt, please. Good old Joel, man. He's out of baptism of fire. Oh, and he's ready. Okay. So Jerusalem is where Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead. Okay, you see the little arrow there, the mouse. Uh, if you go up to Caesarea, just above, go back down, bam, 
the Caesarea was where um, Cornelius was saved and his whole household. And then as you go up north there to where the star is, we have Antioch of Syria. And this is where the revival with the Hellenists just took place. Antioch is going to become the missions hub for the early church. And let's just, so you got an idea where, where all this is happening at this moment. Let's read what happens there. And why don't we just leave, um, leave the map up and I'll read to you guys what happens there in Antioch. There was a church there in Antioch where there were certain prophets and teachers. Verse 2 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to be Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they were sent away. So, being sent by the Holy Spirit, dot, 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 hold on one second, okay, so it's beautiful. In that church, the Hellenist revival took place. Prophets, teachers, evangelists, they all set themselves to pray and to what? Dare you say it. Fast. What do you know? They were a fasting church. A missional church is a fasting church. And who spoke to them? The whole... The, does he do that? The Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry that I have for them. And then in a little bit it says, so they were sent out by the Holy Spirit after there was more fasting, prayer, and hands were laid on them. All right? So this is kind of the first missions trip of Paul as he's sent out. So he gets on a little boat and he goes down to the island of Cyprus, lands at Salamis, and then we're going to read what happens as he goes across the island there to Paphos. When they'd gone through the island to Paphos... They found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, who's a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, kind of the governor, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So something we hear in an open door, uh, as the Lord opens the door, we have an, a government official calling for the evangelists to come to them so that they might hear the word of God. And if you're a podcast person, get online on YouTube, Carl Medeiros. He's got incredible testimonies of him. He's just a dude like us, right? Prineville guy. He could be a Prineville boy. And he is called by from just Arab delegations and just heads of Hezbollah to come over. They pay for his plane ticket to come over and to preach Jesus to them. Google it, YouTube it, Carl Maderes, okay? Anywho, that's one sign of an open door. And in first service, we prayed it. Lord, open up our mayor of Prineville. Open, open up our county commissioners. Open up uh, you know, our governors of our state and our senators to call even on Widow Billy Prineville Church, you know, that they would call on us, that they might hear the word of God. Amen. Is anybody else dreaming the dream of God's right now? Like, Lord, use us in the big scheme of things, right? But Elemis, the sorcerer, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And that also shows that second half of our main text today, that there are many adversaries with the preaching of the Lord. There was someone there seeking to turn the proconsul away, but Saul, who was called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, 
Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you. You will be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hands. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You know, it wasn't even the the crazy blind fog that was over the sorcerer. It was the teaching of the Lord that this proconsul was astonished at. And so we see the open door at the end of the island of Patphos. Cyprus, but it was in Paphos, excuse me. Then the the journey continues and it goes up north to another Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia, okay? And it's there in Antioch of Pisidia that Paul preaches a very God-centered gospel. Now, all of our gospels should be God-centered, but the way he preaches it, it, he keeps saying, and the Lord did this, and the Lord did this, and the Lord did this to show the Antiochians that God was sovereign over their life. This gospel message is complete with many references to the resurrection, which all of our gospel messages should be. And his preaching culminates in this conclusion. Listen to it. Here he is up in Antioch. He says, Let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And then it says in Acts 13:42 that after he was done preaching to those Jews, the Jews went out of the synagogues, but the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Saul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Listen to this. On the next Sabbath, Almost the whole city came together to hear the word of the Lord. Doesn't your heart just stir like, God, can you do that today? God, could you bring the whole city of Primeville to hear the gospel? Not necessarily just Calvary Chapel, but Lord, bring them out to the gospel preaching congregations to hear the word of God. And of course, verse 45 says, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy And contradicting and blaspheming, they oppose the things spoken by Paul. Which reminds us of our part B of our text today. That there are many adversaries when we preach the gospel. But Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you Jews first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of uh, the earth, as the prophecy is fulfilled. Verse 48 says, Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spread throughout all the region. It's an open door, guys. Hear it. Hear the historical accounts. Hear the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And pray in your heart as you're hearing him, Lord, let it be the acts of the Holy Spirit through the disciples in Prineville. From Antioch, he moved down to uh, Lystra. 
Sounds like a name of mouthwash product or something like that. Listerine. Okay. In Acts 14, he's in Lystra, and a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, crippled from his mother's womb. He never walked. This is 14.8. Then this man heard Paul speaking, and Paul observed him intently, and seeing that he had the faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermie because he was the chief speaker. So there's a healing that takes place. But these people were so into idolatry, they start worshiping Paul and Barnabas, giving them names of Greek gods. And so Paul does what, uh, what the angel in Revelation does. He says, hey! What are you guys doing? We're just men. I mean, they're bringing out cows to slaughter to them and garlands to put around their necks. And he's like, what are you doing? We're just men just like you, and we're preaching the living God. And as he preaches to them, they turn from worshiping Paul and Barnabas to trying to kill him now. They go from, you're the Lord, you're Zeus and Hermes, you know, to get them, boys. And they start stoning them. And they... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, I can't remember, is this the account where they stone Paul and drag him out of the city, assuming him to be dead? I can't remember exactly where that is. But um, this worship service to Paul and Barnabas turns into a stoning party. But there was an open door as he got to heal this man of his paralysis. They then go to Derby, home of the boxcar races. Nope. Got the Listerine guys in the box. Okay. In Acts 14, 21... It says that as Paul preached the gospel in Derby, in that city, they made many disciples. There was an open door to the Gentiles. And this is all what happened on that first journey where in Acts 14, 27, they were able to report at their missionary journey party. You have them for all the missionaries when they return. That the Lord had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, quickly, I want to share with you another open door on Paul's second missionary journey. And if we want to flip real quick to um, the scriptures of 2 Corinthians 2.12, Paul says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. I like here that he calls the gospel Christ's gospel. And in another place, he calls it my gospel. He claims ownership of the good news of Jesus. But he says that the Lord opened up a door while we were at Troas to preach the gospel. And we're going to read this account of God opening up the door. It's in Acts chapter 16. But you'll also want to notice that the opening of doors often comes with the closing of doors as well. And it's here in Acts 16, 6. And why don't we go ahead and pop the map up. You're doing awesome, Joel. I'm sorry. I'm just popping you all around. Here we go. Um, so that we can follow along here with where they were told to go. This is the second missionary journey. He writes, Now when we'd gone through Persia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they'd come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. 
Now, you might say, what's the big deal? Preach the gospel wherever you are at. You know, come on, Paul, just quit being a baby about it and just preach the gospel. But we see clearly in the New Testament, there are times where there are open doors and there are shut doors. And somehow in God's sovereignty over salvation, he says no in Asia. He says, don't preach the gospel anymore in that region of Asia. And he goes on, what about, uh, was it called, Mysia? What about Mysia? Nope, nope. And it's, it's kind of funny because they just come from the southeast. They can't go north. They can't go south. And so they find themselves bucked up against the sea in Troas, just kind of twiddling their thumbs like, you know, where are we supposed to go? And it's there that they're by the ocean in Troas that Paul writes, or Luke writes, that a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Guys, this is incredible. In the midst of the shut doors, God has opened another door. And I want you to notice that a similar thing happened here towards the Macedonians as happened with the Cornelius family. That we are, we're over here and we're praying that the Lord would move and he would act. And on the other end of the equation... An angel of the Lord is appearing to Cornelius. Over here, there's Peter. There's a vision going on. Over here, there's someone saying, get ready. Salvation is coming. In the account we just read, Paul's at Troas. He's like, what are we going to do? We're up against the ocean. Like, we're forbidden. We're forbidden. We're forbidden. Where are we supposed to go? On the other end of that ocean, in uh, Philippi, thank you, in Philippi, There is a prayer meeting of women going on, led by Lydia, and they are praying. They're going to be part of the first church that started. And so as we today pray for open doors, just know on the other end of those doors, people are praying that God will send men and women with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I actually have in my journal from my first fast when we were praying about where we were to move and and live and pastor I wrote from this Acts 16 account, Lord, provide Lydia's on the other end who are praying for us. And you know what? It wasn't in Casper that there were Lydia's praying. Sorry, Mike and Chad, my Lydia's over there. You know, praying that God would, and it's not me, I'm not saying they were praying that God would bring me, but they were praying. There was prayer going on on this side. And so just know that God is working sovereignly on both ends of the equation in these open doors. Now, that's the end of the second missionary journey. We just saw an incredible open door to preach the gospel and to take the gospel to Europe. That was the beginning of the European ministry. Now, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, 2 through 4, Paul tells them to continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I also am in chains. Now, I love this scripture because it's a call to intercession. It's a call to prayer that God would open up a door, and I want to apply it to Prineville today, that God would open up a door of megas energes, <laughs> of great power, for people's consciences and convictions and hearts to be open up to the gospel. Now, what's beautiful is when Paul wrote this, he was in chains for Christ. 
And he didn't pray, pray for me also that my chains would be loose, that I could get out and do more missionary work. He prays, no, just pray for an open door. Pray for an open door to speak the gospel. Perhaps the following verses in that Colossians 4 passage are part of these doors opening up for us. As he says and moves on to say, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know how to answer each one. I think part of open doors is us being ready on this end to give defense for the faith at all times. To have our speech seasoned with salt so that we bring flavor to this world. Our speech seasoned with salt so that we bring healing to this world. Our speech seasoned with salt that we would bring preservation to this world. That we would make there be a hunger in people's hearts through our speech for the gospel. That that would be what opens up these doors. Now in Revelation... Chapter 3, we have another reference to God opening up doors. Is this getting old yet? Open doors. We get it. Goodness gracious, pray with me, will you? That God will open up doors in Prineville? In Revelation chapter 3, we read it again, but real quick. Revelations chapters 2 and 3 show us letters from Jesus to seven different churches. And one interesting observation as you study the different churches is is that they could be seen as, and I'm not dogmatic on this, but it's interesting to see each church that's written, that's seven. How many was I doing? Ten? We're going back to seven here. Each church is kind of a little snippet in the panoramic picture of church history. Everywhere from the early church, the persecuted church, the Roman Catholic church, uh, the compromising church, uh, the, uh, the Protestant Reformation, uh, the lukewarm church, and the faithful church of Philadelphia in the last day. It's an incredible panorama to look at Revelation 2 and 3 and to see just a painting of church history all the way to the faithful church of the last days. Now, five out of seven of these churches have harsh correction into their lives from Jesus himself. Like, hey, bro, you got a letter from Jesus. What? And you read it and it's like, hey, a couple good things going on there. Man, this is good, this and good. But what the heck is up with this sexual immorality? What is up with this idol worship? What is up with this mixture? Man, you need to repent and do the first works. Repent and come back to your first love. There's harsh correction, except for the persecuted church of Smyrna, where there's refinement through persecution, and the faithful church of Philadelphia, of which I would pray and hope that we are that. I would pray and hope that we are Philadelphia and that we would continually see our sin and repent of it and be part of the faithful church in the last days. But here's what Jesus writes to the faithful church in the last days. He says in Revelation 3, 7, To the angel in the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy and who is true, he who has the keys of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. I've set before you an open door that nobody can shut. These are opportunities that no one can touch. It's a mark of the faithful church. The faithful church is a church that takes the opportunities given to them to share the gospel to the world. See the open door. See the open door. It's okay when doors are shut. Jesus also says there to the Philadelphians, hey, I also shut and no one can open it. Praise God. But I open. 
and no one can shut it. There's incredible encouragement in knowing that Jesus is the opener of doors and the closer of doors. Remember part B of our text today? If you ever remember what our text was back in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, where Paul says, there's a great and effective door open to me, but there are many adversaries. These adversaries are people who would block up the way and prevent us from entering through the door. As Leon Morris writes, the Christian is not usually left to pursue his work unhindered. It is part of the conditions under which we are to serve God that we have great opportunities of service. We also have serious difficulties. And Morris writes this, overcoming opposition is part of the opportunity. I want to share real quickly the testimony of Saeed and Nagma Abedini, who we've been praying for for the last two years. I met Saeed and Nagma in uh, Boise two years ago, where I heard that they were missionaries to Iran. And I said, man, that must be a very dangerous mission field. And they said, yeah, it really is. And then a month later, Saeed was arrested in Iran and sentenced to eight years in prison and almost was sentenced to death uh, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, what's incredible is that Nagma was from Iran, but had moved to Boise with her family, and she was the church secretary there. They just had kind of a comfortable American life, being the church secretary, having a girls' discipleship group, all of these things, Till she went back to Iran uh, to visit family and to hear about, as they heard there was a missionary movement, or excuse me, a, a church planting movement uh, happening there in Iran. Lo and behold, her future husband was the young man in his 20s who was planting thousands of house churches all around Iran. When they finally ended up getting married, they had men walking around the outside with AK-47s, and they were afraid they were going to be raided at their wedding because they were preaching the gospel, showing the Jesus movie, and handing out Bibles. And so, you know, that ended up happening years later within their marriage as uh, they were both arrested in Iran and told to leave the country uh, and never to preach the gospel again, although they could return to finish an orphanage that they had started. And as Saeed came back by himself to finish up this orphanage, he had got on a bus to go back to the airport and go home, and he was surrounded by Republican Guard soldiers who arrested him and led to his house arrest, which led to his you know, mock trial in front of the harshest uh, judge in Iran, where he was sentenced to eight years in prison, which some believe is a death sentence. And we heard Nagma preach last week in Boise, or she taught, or she, she spoke really is what she did, with um, great boldness and great joy. Even though knowing, she, you could tell in her voice, this is the third time I think I've heard her speak, you could hear that she was, she was aware that Saeed may die over there. But she had great joy in that. Now, I say all that about the opposition to show that the opposition has been the opportunity. Through Saeed being imprisoned, Saeed has led dozens and dozens and dozens of fellow prisoners to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to have their sins forgiven. These are Muslim men who are prisoners who've come to know Jesus as their Savior and to be born again. Not only that, but while he's in prison, somehow God sovereignly chose Nagma to be this guy's wife because she's over here in America standing up before the Congress of our, of our government, standing up before the United Nations, and she's not just poor me, remember the persecuted church, and somebody stand up for sight. She is preaching the gospel for which her husband is in chains. Then she goes to Europe, she, preaches before, uh, she speaks and preaches the gospel before the United Nations of Europe, and then she preaches before parliaments such as Switzerland, where she reports that men are weeping at the account of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And this is what's incredible, is that she's been able to preach the gospel over BBC Farsi, which is transmitted over Iran. In the Farsi tongue, she preaches the gospel to the whole entire nation, and they've never heard the gospel before, and God has opened up a way and a platform for her to preach so that the people could be saved. It's never happened in the history of Iran before. A great and effective door has been opened, and there are many adversaries. And so as we conclude today, we'll have the worship team come on up. I wish I had the time today to take you to Acts chapter 19 and and read to you about the adversaries that Paul had in Ephesus. He called them beasts of Ephesus, who just did a giant riot in Acts chapter 19 and tried to kill them. But that will be for your own personal reading. As we go to a conclusion, two things I want to conclude with. In the book of Revelation, Jesus tells us in chapter 1, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So all this talk about doors going on today, you need to remember who holds the keys to the doors. It is Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am actually the door. I'm the door. And you must go through me. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, the door, the way. Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, that there is no other name under heaven, given among men, by which men must be saved. It's not a little bit of this Buddha, a little bit of Joseph Smith, a little bit of this Muhammad, a little bit of this Confucius, whatever, man. No, it's not. The Bible tells us there is one door. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved than the man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do you hear him today? Maybe for the first time, you would just hear the Lord beckoning you that that before you become a missionary and go all over the place, he's knocking at the door of your heart that you might be saved today, that you might be born again, that you might know Jesus, that you might have an awakening. Do you hear him knocking at the door of your heart? Because he says, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I knock. And if anyone hears me and comes and opens that door, I will come in and I will dine with you and you with me. You will have relationship with Jesus. Have you ever opened that door to Jesus? Have you ever been awakened to know Jesus? That's his desire for you today. By his mercy, he's brought you here to Calvary Chapel of Crook County to hear this message today. Don't don't leave it. Don't go away from it without responding. For you today, come to the one who has the keys The keys to eternity, it's Jesus. And enter in. Enter in. Respond to him by faith and say, Lord Jesus, I come to you the door. And I come through the door and enter into eternal life. Thank you for providing the way of salvation for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for my sin that I could have my sins forgiven. Thank you for offering up your body as like a sponge to absorb the wrath of God so that the wrath of God wouldn't be poured out on me. Have you ever prayed that? 
This is for this is for every person here today who's never cried out to God for that. You might have come to church a thousand trillion times, but it doesn't matter if you've never been born again. If you've never walked through that door of Jesus. Won't you come right now? You don't have to do anything crazy. Just where you're at, say, Lord, I come. And I enter through the gate. I enter through the door. I receive eternal life. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. You're my master, and you're the one who saved me from my sins. And secondly today, we're going to close with a song of prayer for our church that God would open up the doors for effective gospel proclamation in our community, that he would open up the doors for the hearts and the minds and the convictions and the consciences of these people to be soft and tender and moldable and, and, and that they'd respond to the gospel. That's what we saw in the book of Acts. And that's what we'll pray and intercede for here today as a church. We've been going to the doors. We've been knocking on the doors. They're like, you're not dressed like a Mormon. I know, because we're not. We're here to tell you about Jesus and that he's alive. Well, I'm kind of interested. I'll be there tomorrow. We've heard a lot of that. I'll be at your church tomorrow. Cricket. (laughs) No problem. We weren't ready. They never come. That's just led me in my prayer times this week to say, you know what? The, The door just isn't open. Open the door of their hearts, Lord. Will you pray with me for open doors to preach the gospel here and in Indonesia or India or Post or Mitchell or that he would just, just like Paul said when he had the dream of the Macedonian man, he said, we concluded that God had opened up the door to go to Macedonia. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, enter maybe your name for the work that I've called them to. And the Holy Spirit sent them out. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for God-led, megas energes, open doors for our church. Let's stand. And even if you today, for the first time, walk through the door to Jesus, pray with us. You get to pray with us now that God would open up doors. Go ahead, Tammy. Did you hear the oceans roar when the people rose to sing Jesus Christ?
You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.